Our scripture reading this morning is the 84th Psalm. The 84th Psalm. I think you might recognize it because there's kind of a famous song that is taken from this psalm. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for the joy, for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The Lord bless the reading of his word. That psalm mentions a place, the name of a place. The place is Zion. Zion, a mountain. I'd like you to listen to another text of Scripture. I think you would agree with me that that psalm to Zion, to the Lord, to the place of the Lord's temple, the sanctuary of God, is very hopeful. It says, the people who find themselves in the presence of God are blessed people. Here's another group of people that found themselves in the presence of God. This is in Exodus chapter 9, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. 
The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Don't go near a woman. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down and warn the people so that they don't break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said, The people cannot come up... Uh, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds about the mountain. Then the Lord said to him, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the people and the people, the, do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. And then, we have the story of the giving of the Ten Commandments when Moses met with the Lord. That's at the beginning of chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. And as soon as we're done quoting the Ten Commandments, we read this in Exodus 20:18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood back. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order to 
that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached. That does not sound like my soul faints for the presence of the Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Those are two very different experiences. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 comes to in today's text. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, where we read this. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. You have not come to that, he says, to the Hebrew Christians. For they could not bear the command, even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. You've not come to that, he says. But you have come to Mount Zion, the subject of Psalm 84. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says, this is not Sinai, but Zion. When we are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and His new covenant, we are talking about Zion, not Sinai. We could read also about Sinai in Deuteronomy chapter 4, you know, where Moses is speaking now to the people who have survived the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and he's telling them the law of God, the second law, the second time, so that now as they go into the promised land, he's telling them the law of God. And in his preamble, if I can find it, chapter 4, Verse 11, well, I'm going to start in verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. That's another name for Sinai. And the Lord said to me, assemble the people that they can hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and they may teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the, heaven, of the heavens 
darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you in the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on tablets of stone. And it's, it's really that text that Hebrews is quoting, and that text is a reminder of the events that we read in the text from Exodus. And the writer of Hebrews mentions seven things that the Hebrew church has not come to. Remember, the book of Hebrews is a great exaltation of the new covenant of the superiority of Christ, and especially as compared to Moses, the hero of Israel. That Moses was a preamble to Christ. Well, the writer says seven things that you've not come to. First, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched A material mountain. <laughs> and of course, they were not allowed to touch the mountain in Exodus either, but they could have. It could be touched, but it was not to be touched. But it's a material thing, a physical mountain that they gathered to Mount Sinai. He says, you've not come to a blazing fire. Darkness and gloom and whirlwind. Sorry, that's number two, three, four, and five. You've not come to a blazing fire, number three. Number two, you've not come to darkness, number three. You've not come to a whirlwind, number five. I lost my count. Gloom, whirlwind, we're up to five now. You've not come to the blast of a trumpet that was so loud it made you want to run away. Have you ever heard something that loud? This reminded me of, you know, a long time ago, I read this book, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is all about the terror of war. And this kid who's a soldier in World War I listening to the shelling shake the earth and the total fearfulness of that experience. Have you ever been next to something that was so loud that you just had to stand back from it? That shook the earth? Well, and of course, the blast of the trumpets wasn't the worst of it. The Word of God was the speech of God, so that the people said to Moses, don't let him talk to us. You talk to him, but don't let him talk to us. And what was it that the Lord spoke on that occasion? The law. the law, the great summary of the law and the Ten Commandments. 
And they had a response that our writer describes. He says it was so terrible. They couldn't bear the commandment. They begged that no further word would be spoken to them. It was so terrible, even Moses was afraid. You've not come to that, he says. You've not come to that. But you have come to what? Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. Now, I hadn't noticed it up till now, but the words come to, the word you've come to, is the same Greek verb that the writer of the book of Hebrews has used multiple times. The first time is in chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, I guess I better read the sentence before that. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted with all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us, you know it, right? Draw near. That's the same verb. You have come to, or you have not come to. You've drawn near to. What is it you've drawn near to? In uh, chapter 7, verse 25, we have this exhortation repeated, and we've noticed this a lot as we've studied the book of Hebrews. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Draw near. In chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it was only, has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. The law had commandments, and the law had sacrifices for the breaking of those commandments. But those sacrifices didn't get the job done. We read all about this. There's a need for a better sacrifice. And again, we're talking about drawing near to God. In chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near in Christ. Because the sacrifice of Christ actually deals with our sin. 
in a way that the old sacrifices couldn't. The old sacrifices were just a temporary shield. The sacrifice of Christ deals with the issue once and for all and for good. We had this, another use of this word in chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to, draws near to God, must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So we've been talking about drawing near all through the whole book of Hebrews, and here the writer in kind of his concluding argument says to the, to the Hebrew church, you haven't drawn near to this, the terror of Sinai. You have drawn near to this, the glory of Zion in Christ. And then he says, you've drawn near, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, Jerusalem. And not just Jerusalem, the city and the geographical place of Israel, but Jerusalem, the city of the living God. This is not a place you can touch. This is the spiritual city of God, which the writer has referred to both in the person of Melchizedek, who was the king of this place way back when he met Abraham in the first place, and a type of the Lord Jesus, but then also in the city we're looking for in chapter 10 and chapter 11. The better city that God is bringing. That's where you've come. Zion, the city of the living God. That's number one. Number two, you've come to the place where there are myriads of angels assembled. <laughs> now that word myriad is a fun word because it literally means 10,000. A myriad is 10,000. And because it means 10,000, it also means an inestimable number. And here, it's in the plural. So you could translate it literally like this. Tens of thousands of angels. Tens of thousands. In other words, tens of thousands means we, don't, we can't really tell how many because there's myriads. And you know in the book of Revelation, this is referred to also the myriads and myriads of angels at the throne of God. But the best part here is the assembly. <laughs> he says, myriads of angels, and the, literally in the Greek text, it says, myriads of angels assembled. But this isn't just a word for any old gathering. This is what they call a festal gathering. A festival, a celebration gathering, a cheering gathering, in which the angels are doing what we would do when our football team scores. 
Only what they're doing about is the work of Christ in the saints of God. Something the angels are well known to celebrate. That's where we've come, he says. And, he says, we've come to the assembly of the firstborn. The church of the firstborn. The ecclesia, the called out assembly. The assembly of the saints. The ones, he says, the, the, the church of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. That's what we've come to. This reminded me of chapter 2 in the book of Hebrews. Where Jesus... Well, the son is quoting, the writer of Hebrews is quoting the son who's quoting Psalms, the 22nd Psalm to be precise. In chapter 2, verse 11, we read this, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He sets us apart into the family of God and He looks upon me as His dear brother. And then He quotes the psalm. For which reason He's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim Your name to My brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing Your praise. Jesus is the song leader of heaven. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, me and the children whom God has given me. The brotherhood of the assembled church. That's where we've come. In the presence of of God Almighty in the name of Jesus. In, and we stand at the gates of Zion, the heavenly city. And we stand being celebrated by countless angelic creatures. And then there's another thing we come to, God, the judge. <laughs> God, the judge. Well, this reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, reading from verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And he's talking about the example in which the children of Israel after that Sinai experience got right up to the border of the promised land and didn't want it. Don't do that, he says. But then he says, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword 
and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You know, this is the point where Sinai and Zion meet. But he goes on. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us cling to our confession of Him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near. Go in. Go into the place that at Sinai was forbidden that would have killed you to go in. But in Him, we go in boldly. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God is the judge and He has judged me in Christ and so I have access to His grace. Then there's another thing we've come to. The spirits of the righteous perfected. That's the list of the Old Testament saints He's reminding us of that was in chapter 11. That list of people who are perfected in Christ who died without receiving the promise, but now in Christ the promise has been delivered. And they have the testimony of God righteous on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, just like me and you. And there's a great assembly of them. You can read about that in the book of Revelation chapter 4. The saints around the throne of grace. And then, you've come to Jesus. <laughs> you've come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. And of course, this he spelled this out in chapter 9. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He brings the sacrifice. He's the high priest whose sacrifice actually resolves the problem of sin and judgment. The old sacrifices were only there, were only the Remind God that Jesus is coming sacrifices. And so He's the mediator of a new covenant, the new covenant, in which our hearts are filled by the Spirit of God and the law of God is written on our hearts so that we obey in joyful service, not under demanding obligation. Not obey or else, but obey because now you know how good it is. Now you know the love of God in Christ. Obey. The new covenant. 
And finally, the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than Abel. Now the text in English says better than the blood of Abel. And that might make us think better than, you know, Abel's blood when Cain killed Abel. But I think it's really a reference to the sacrifice that Abel made that God preferred to Cain's because it was a sacrifice that included blood. And it was a sacrifice like the sacrifices under the law of Moses. And the sacrifice, the sprinkled blood we come to is the sprinkled blood of the Lord Jesus that gives us full access that we read about in chapter 10. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place. What? We have confidence to enter the holy place. Here's something about those folks gathered around, my, around Mount Sinai. Not a single one of them had any of that. The holy place was a terror. We have confidence, boldness. How? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way new and living, which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You see, the Sacrifice of Christ cleanses your conscience. It utterly removes the guilt of your sin. That's much better than the sacrifice of Abel. Now, Abel's sacrifice was recognized by God and Abel received the testimony of God because of it. Yet, God's testimony upon Abel was also the consequence of the sacrifice that ultimately came in the person of Christ. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to those who put their faith in Him. And that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. Even when it was imputed to Abel at the very beginning. That's what we've come to. You've not come to Sinai, but to Zion. These are two great occasions in which God spoke to His gathered people. That reminds me of chapter 1. In many ways in times past, God spoke through the prophets in all kinds of ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son which is a whole new thing. It is 
utterly revolutionary that He's spoken to us in His Son. This is not someone who speaks for God. This is God Himself, the living Word. And so we have these two great occasions, one that is earthly and one that is heavenly. We have one that is fearful when God gives the law, and one that is festal because He has delivered His grace. One that says, stay away. And one that says, come right in. This is the very distinction that we make in reading the Scripture between law and grace. Law and grace. The law came through Moses. We read in the book of John. But grace and truth are realized in the only begotten of God. The law is given for fear's sake because it is the fear of God that drives us to the grace of God. It's when I bang my head up against thou shalt not bear false witness or thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Nothing that displaces God from His rightful position of God. I've always had something displacing God from His rightful position as God. And so if I pay attention to the law, and then you, of course Jesus comes along and He preaches the law in the Sermon on the Mountain, we see, oh, it's deeper than we thought. It's not just if you kill somebody, if, but it's if you want to. If you hate somebody, it's deeper than you thought and God's requirement is not just the requirement of the externals it's not just you've never slept with somebody that's not your wife but it's you've ever looked at somebody like you might want to it is utterly breaks you And it calls upon God for judgment. But that's not where we come. That's Sinai. We come to the law of grace. To the giving of grace. To the giving of the sacrifice of Christ. Which heals our souls. So the question is, is hearing from God terrifying or inviting? And the answer to that question is yes. Is hearing from God terrifying? Yes. 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 Is hearing from God inviting? Yes. Yes. How is it terrifying in one case and inviting in the other? 
The, the answer to that question, the difference is Jesus. It's that simple. The difference is Jesus. The only difference is Jesus. God is righteous and God requires perfect righteousness. And as righteous as we might be, there's not, it's never been perfect. And it's always been self-righteous, so it's always polluted by that too. And so we are stuck. How can I come to God and receive grace and not condemnation? The answer to that question, the only answer to that question, is Jesus and the finished work of His cross. And so we gather together as the people who have come to Zion, who have come before the throne of grace, who rejoice and don't run away in terror. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want other people to have that experience, to know Him, to see His love as it really is. And so we pray for the ministry of the Spirit of God in the hearts of men so that they will see the beauty of the love of God in Christ. So that they will come not to, Zion, not to Sinai, but to Zion. Now the path to Zion passes by Sinai. And sometimes people need to deal with the fact that they can't stand before God except by Christ. None of the sacrifices of Moses' law dealt with the issue. The sacrifice of Christ does. And so we gather, as the psalm says, better is one day, one day, in the presence of God than to live forever without it. In fact, we have a name for living forever without the presence of God. That name is hell. We are the people who have come to Zion, not Sinai. Father, we give You thanks for Your goodness, Your good grace, Your amazing outpouring of Your love toward Your people in Christ. Lord, please help us in the Spirit, in the power and direction of the Spirit to share this love. To let it shine out of us. So that we experience the goodness of the fellowship of those angels and of those gathered saints. Lord, may this be visible to the people around us. That we might express Your generous grace to everyone we meet. Lord, we pray for those we know who so desperately need to come to Zion. That they will see the love of Christ as it is. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.